This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me, appropriately, some might say, for the 69th minute of Michael Mann's <laughs> LA crime opus Heat, uh, is the awesome Lawrence Barber, who you would have heard uh, on a previous episode talking through um, uh, some great performances in the 62nd minute and uh, all sorts of things. He's from the Star Observer and also ABC Radio, and you can hear his lovely reviews, and a man who was part of the inception of this very idea. In fact, you might say the rum that was in his bar at the Sydney Film Festival helped bring it to life. He is the man of the 21, nearly 22-year-old movie news website. That is fucking in dog years. That's a lot. Um, His name is Mr. Garth Franklin. Welcome to you both, gentlemen, for being part of the show. Thank you. Thank you. Should we be offended that you chose us for the 69th minute? <laughs> um, I mean, it does feel like stereotyping. <laughs> just a little bit. I, I, but at the same time, if you were going to choose anyone to just really take the fact that it's the 69th episode and run with it, it'd be us. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, what's even worse is you guys must be so embedded in my psyche that I picked you with the 69th minute, having no concept that it was actually the 69th minute and there would be potential for us to go down this rabbit hole. So there you go. You took us there. We're going down. (laughs) (laughs) We're indeed, we're going deep. (laughs) So speaking of deep, we're going to get right into this minute right now. We're going to check it out with you Um, for context. We're just seeing Vincent and Bosco, um, Mike Bosco there with uh, Plebo Ted Levine, Al Pacino, pulling up to pick up Lauren, um, Natalie Portman's character, uh, because she doesn't look like she's wanted to be picked up by her mom. And then we get this gorgeous establishing shot of downtown LA, um, setting up for the upcoming diamond heist that we know, uh, or sorry, the platinum heist rather, um, that at uh, this uh, metal exchange, and the guys are all there um, about to get it started. But it's it's sort of a quiet moment before a lot of frenzy, and these guys are going to help me talk about it. So you guys listen, and we're going to have a watch of it now. And you forget your mom was picking you up? No. So what's going on? I felt like being alone. Come on, I drive you home. Hey, Mike. Oh, Lord. So, gentlemen, here we are. Mm. Kind of quiet minute, except for the beginning. Uh, yeah, so mostly, there's mostly just an establishing shot for a lot of it. But yeah. <laughs> should we start at the beginning with the Portman stuff? Yeah, let's start with Lauren. 
I what rewatching it feel like there's something interesting going on in this scene that I didn't catch the mm-hmm. first time, um, which is you know obviously she's saying that she um, hasn't been picked up and that she wanted to be alone, but you can feel that she didn't. Mm. Like it's it's clear on her face that she's modulating that response to him because she's not sure yet if she can actually talk to him about where she's at given you know that we know what happens to her yes um later in the film and when he says get in the car i'll take you home she has no hesitation she gets straight in the car yeah. and like leans in as close to him as possible as she can from the back seat the happiest she's been around in the entire thing. well no she it's a to, to me it's like a total cry for help yes yeah 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 like and she doesn't seem happy. She doesn't. Seem no, happy. She hasn't done it. But compared with the <laughs> previous scene, where she was almost basically almost angry at it. Oh uh, yeah, I suppose so. This is like she was. She's actually quite civil to it in this one. But <laughs> I think there's an exchange happening at the beginning of this minute, and I think it might play a little bit into what Lawrence is saying. Is she says, "I felt like being alone." Yes. And there's a moment there where there's like this pause. There's like a pause, a bit of consternation on her face because mm. I think she thinks that he's going to give her the third degree. But he looks at her and he plays it in like a, a split second. And this comes from a guy who like watches people mm-hmm. and get, makes people talk all the time. It's like, in this moment, I'm not going to force her to talk. He goes, okay. Yeah. And he just opens the door. Yeah. And that, sometimes that knowing when not to interrogate okay. makes her feel like, oh, the closeness is there. I think yeah. I can maybe start to kind of trust this guy and 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 let him in. Obviously... Later on, we see that, you know, she goes to this space and she's, you know, it's a, it is a much darker cry for help. When you look mm-hmm. at her reflection, it's absolutely right. But I just love that little bit where you see through his glasses, you can see through his sunglasses, you see his eyes very clearly pick, take the cues, mm-hmm. look at her paws and her face and go, no, just jump in the car. I think it's also one of those moments as well, similar to um, my previous episode where, you know the the facade is dropping a little bit, and he's yes. actually he's actually connecting to a human being yeah. for once. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, properly, yeah, properly, yeah. which is why uh, you know that scene works so well. Yes, really. yeah. So, and, and it's also interesting because he knows that the mother, her and her mother have this strained relationship where the mother's basically almost disinterested. It seems time she's almost, a bit like almost an absentee mother, even though she's there. So to not give her the third degree is an interesting move. It's like he doesn't want to. Be the parent who's compensating, and you know, that sort of thing. He's basically saying, "Oh, okay, I'm staying. Yeah, I'll let you do your own thing. Whatever you need, whatever you yeah. need in this moment to kind of get up to that. But you also feel like if, like, if he were a normal kind of parental figure to mm-hmm. her, then he would probably Push. circle back to that moment. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, in between, <coughs> and it's you know, yeah. it's not his fault. Mm-hmm. No, um, but, it, but, but but it's, but the fact that he doesn't have time to do that doesn't like it 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 contributes to her going to the place that she does yeah and also that you would think he's like he would have a conversation with justine like uh what the hell was the deal with lauren not getting picked up by you like what happened did you guys fight like even just uh being interested in the context of the family um and you know he he gives uh, he gives uh, Justine, his wife, Diane Venora's character, he gives her the third degree like 10 times about the father being absent and not picking mm. her up. And the one time that she doesn't want to be picked up by her mother, he's like, okay. Yeah. And just lets it sort of happen. So yeah, you've got that kind of... But I, I love the beat there. And, you know, she jumps in the car with Mike and he's like, hi, Lauren. You know, just, you know, sweet old guys. You know, they're 
you know, not, not, not as nice as they normally would be to someone jumping in the back of their cop car, <laughs> perhaps. Um, but it's a brief moment of normality. Yeah. yeah, it's nice. It's like, oh, one of the benefits of his job is that... She obviously knows the partner as well. Yeah, she knows yeah. Mike. So yeah. she knows the family. Well, yeah, like their extended family. They must know each other. Yeah. Um, but so that's good. And then we, we jump in and I'm just going to take us a little bit back a moment. I'll make sure that as I'm scrolling through that we can have a look. There's just this absolutely gorgeous downtown LA shot. The Tilshift shot where they yeah. did that whole... It's always in focus in the center and then in blurry on the sides. It gives that whole almost miniature look. Yes. Yeah, you know, giant miniature. Yeah, social network a lot. They use it on a bunch of other things. Made me think of just out of recency, hereditary. Yeah, yeah. The way those scenes, the way you the, couldn't tell if the establishment house was the house. Yeah, yeah. You got this great, and it's something. It's a shot that I was thinking about, like late. And, so and, long, and look at all the, the lights. Yeah, it's like a long shift focus on that. It's a long yeah. shift, and and so you watch this car. This isn't the van that they're in, or it appears like it's not the van. You go. We actually completely cover over the areas where the, the cops all are. Um, and then it goes, you know, they're all sort of sitting there as it goes down and that van comes past contextualizing that. And then you finally have the, the actual van pull up, which is where, you know, we, we shut down this minute. Um, you, you get the actual van that pulls up to the yeah, spot. Sort of, yeah. As we looked at the map, you know, this is the factory district. So you're in Southeast Los Angeles, Southeast of downtown, sorry. Uh, which, yeah, there's nothing there. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> You're literally east of Compton and you basically don't go there unless you have a job. Yeah. <laughs> it's all warehouses. Yeah, all, all warehouses. And I think there's one warehouse you can see here thanks to the beautiful Blu-ray. It's like something smoked fish. It's like, it's not exactly, probably a nice appetizing um, uh, place to be. I get a feeling like if this was a modern movie that was made like today, that they would have tried to do this whole shot like digitally, like a lot of like sort of Zodiac San Francisco shots whereas like this feels to me like it's this beautiful like helicopter shot that it wouldn't be a helicopter shot it'd be a flat shot more, more than anything what, yeah it'd be like a digital map with a flat shot yeah, di- di- yeah, yeah. a digital map but like this is like a gorgeous helicopter shot that is playing to no sound because otherwise you'd obviously hear um, all the whirring and everything like that and it's just the beautiful Elliot Goldenthal score and the incidental sounds of the, the car going up the side street it's this just the shot that evokes you know the, the dark night yeah. This is the thing that evokes that shot the most. That yeah. yeah. kind of thing with a fan running much. Yeah. But you know that, you know, Elliot Goldenthal is there to, you know, play for subtlety and mood and mm. and and uh and the big score of um uh, Hans Zimmer has got a bit more like wow a bit more like <laughs> Rockstar. He's trying to really take over what's actually happening on screen. But you know, that's the that's the sort of the quintessential LA skyline from heat right now and all these lights. I feel like if they made it today, it wouldn't be as unbroken. Like they would cut in inside the van in that moment. Like they would be so much more overt and obvious with establishing like the positioning of the cops in relation to everything else. Cause you don't really understand that that's where uh, in in my memory, like do you, like the, the the weather stakeout is in relation. Mm. Like you don't figure out exactly the positioning oh, you, until until they stop and basically until it's Val, not it's not fully revealed. Anyway. No, it's not fully revealed until the end. But until Val, you get a really good sense that they're very close. Yeah, only once the lock goes. So as soon as you see Tom Sizemore's character Michael Chirito up on the uh, on the uh, sling and he sort of gives the nod and Val Kilmer goes click, you then see from the position they're seeing you see Val Kilmer like Val Kilmer's back at the door you see one of their cameras looking mm. at Michael on the thing you see 
sort of uh, in the right hand of frame when he's up on, on the um, lighting pole, you can see the white trucks, but you're not quite sure that that's exactly where they are. But you they, do, would, you, they feel like you're surrounded in the upcoming scene. They would do a Sicario style if they did today. It'd be like police cam footage. Mm. Maybe cut between the different things, giving you an idea of the, you know, It'd be a top-down shot that maybe yeah. thing what you're saying where this is. Yes, give you an idea. It plays with your like the the thing that I found watching it is that it the movie so often plays with your allegiances in terms of how you want a scene to play out. Yes, just the way that it's cut together shifts so much, and so in this one, I feel like you're very much meant to want the the robbery to succeed. Yes, um, and eventually it doesn't. Um, but the fact that they don't give you any information about um, where um, Hannah and everyone is, is staked out, it just it puts them they're the bad guys in in this yeah in this sequence. And you wanted to, and what's weird is that you wanted to succeed because then that makes Hannah win. But at the same time, you don't want Hannah to win, so you kind of want the cops to mess up and blow it. But you can't it can't be the crooks that blow. And boy, thing. do they! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One, it's going to be a, nice, a much shorter movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It would be a 70-odd, 75-minute movie if they pinched them at the end of this scene. Not quite as fun. I don't think it earns a Moby, uh, God, playing, uh, God Moving Over the Face of Waters soundtrack at the end. None, none of that. Possibly not. No. But it does lead into some amazing stuff in this scene. Like, uh, you know, again, we're seeing these guys do their job so great. But I just, uh, you know, the, actually, you know, it's great. We are 69 minutes into this movie mm. and... 68 minutes, 30 seconds. It's literally the most LA shot of the whole movie. Like, uh, there's not enough smoke. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> it's too blue. LA's, LA always has what they call the urine haze, where it's that kind of off yellow that you really just... It's all over collateral. <laughs> it's all over collateral, yeah. that, that sort of thing. So they've clearly sort of tweaked it, but there's... I'm trying to think of any other time in the movie so far where there's been, like, an LA skyline shot. The beauty shot would be the balcony with the bad blue screen. Yeah, with Amy Brenneman and that's the only other beauty movie. shot where you're looking down and yeah, yeah. So that's the like first. there's a shot from the back where they're looking straight down at it, which is actually quite beautiful. That's just yeah. an Hollywood Hills shot. Yes. So then there's the ones where they put them from the side on. It's like yeah, the side on. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened there. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a bit rough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it was because they were trying to get the same depth perception because the lights were going. And yeah. They just couldn't do it with film. No. Whereas now in digital, they could make that shot. Yeah. They yeah, yeah, can click of a finger and then you could clean it. That shot wouldn't be allowed today. You would not have that disparity of the thing it would be no that would be next yeah you're like no I can't do that yeah or that or that would be seen as like a really bad reshoot or a Baz Luhrmann movie yeah <laughs> one, one of those two things <laughs> one of those two things but now this is like but now in like 2018 this is like a, a people always talk about it being an LA movie like a, mm. a quintessential LA crime story movie and like right now it's taken more than an hour to really show off LA. But it makes very, very good use of the LA locations. It's across the whole area, everything from Terminal Island through to, you know, Midtown. Through the, I mean, there's a scene coming up where he does, if for some reason gets in a helicopter to go from downtown to the 105 to get the thing, because he's like, okay, LA traffic, you can't do high-speed chases in the heat with LA traffic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it just doesn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> I did notice, like, anytime anyone's driving anywhere in this movie, there's virtually no one on the road. No. Like, this is insane. That, that's not Los This isn't the version no. of Los, no. Los Angeles that I see these days no, no, in, no. in movies. No, but but it does make sense to get a hot You could have a La La Land moment. Yeah. Out <laughs> yeah, in traffic. Like, an, another day of, like, cold blue lighting at night. Another day, another day of cold blue lighting at night. And the, the, Michael Man, the Michael Mann LA musical. 
I think it'd be damn catchy. You want to sing a few bars? Maybe, no. I don't. <laughs> oh, God damn it. I'm no Emma Stone in her Oscar winning vocal performance. You know how much shade was cast in that just one sentence, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> I can feel it. My, my eyebrows nearly peeled off with the amount of shade that came across the desk here at one heat minute. Um, yeah, I, I, I just like that in these moments you get to really soak up an atmosphere and a mood like and take the time it feels like uh, a lot of establishment shots when they're hurried for time or maybe for budget they take a lot they, they do a lot less sorry yeah do a lot less um, to, in, in order to um, just keep things moving and I like here that after everything we've seen we've been in some pretty turbulent scenes we had a little bit of a coda with uh, Lauren at the beginning of this which is sort of outside of a lot of really big, heavy, emotional, turbulent scenes that we've seen earlier. And then now you get this, and it's like this beautiful, quiet, establishing shot. Well, this would be cut if this was like, you know, it's a two-hour, 50 movie, so you have the breathing room. Yeah. This is like, they cut it to a feature length. The first thing that would be cut would be some of the smaller character subplots. Yeah. Wayne Grows or like, some yeah. of that. And then, the, then these sort of longer establishing shots would be the next off. Yeah, that'd be next straight away. But, it, but it's, bang, but it's yeah, so it's much for the mood yeah. of what you're about to see. You kind of like, it's almost like you're settling in to the the soundscape you know you come in you've got this like monotone music it's setting a tone mm. and then you get in there and here we are we're right in the thick of it did movies before this one shoot LA in this way or was this kind of in blue a, a not new, really a new way of of looking at the city because I feel like seeing these shots I recognize them in so many things since yes. in terms of how um, LA is photographed in, in films and just the way that the, the lighting and the kind of monumental nature of all of those buildings rising out of, um, you know, the downtown and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a specific geography that maybe is only a fairly recent thing to, to actually see put on film. Yeah. I, I, I can't, I can't say specifically, but I know that this, you know, they, sh- they had something like a hundred and, 170 odd like shooting locations in this movie something ridiculous you know everything is um everything was outside there was no studio shooting and so you've got um oh sorry so 120 locations not 170 sorry forgive me but it's like 120 locations this is you know they, they made particular mind to go out michael mann spent six months of weekends going out on random cop calls with a patrol driver just to go to weird places in LA mm-hmm. that he hadn't seen. So you had things like, you know, um, Garth, what was that place that was just su- Southern LA in one of the early minutes where they had the dog fighting place where they had oh, the chop shop? Was, I think that was Terminal Island. Yeah, yeah Terminal Island. The all sulfur, the way the sulfur mine and everything, yeah. all the way south of the sulfur mine on Terminal Island, which is like two hours out of downtown. Then you've got right. these weird places. So everywhere he went to... He wanted it to be, you know, the people, the completely unseen, unfilmable, unattractive version of what is so prevalent in all That's what's so LA. great about the LA yeah. geography specifically. Yeah. Is, um, compared with a lot of other cities. And city, like a city like where we are, but Sydney, you have a city right in the heart in the city of it. And then you go to the suburbs in the north and south, beyond maybe the financial differences, they're not that different. Yes. Um, whereas there, there are whole places in LA, you go to different pockets. Two suburbs over it. It's completely different geographically, commercially. It's all this, the, the variation and thing is incredible, and a lot of it is so hidden away. Yes, because you, people are just driving along the freeways; they just ignore a lot of the side streets. So if you go to some dark place, there's some really <laughs> twisted places. One of the first times I went to LA, I went out with a friend, and he said, uh, "Okay, we're gonna, we just watched uh, Dark Blue, which is the Kurt Russell movie about yes. the LA riots and so on." 
Uh, and he said, okay, we're doing this in downtown. I'm going to take you, I'm going to drive around some cr- crazy places down here. And he was driving to places. He was physically shaky. He was so nervous. I'm like, what is this neighborhood? He's <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, we're about three blocks from like the heart of like South Central, all these rides took place. I'm like, okay, are we going to be shot or Should something? Should we like, drive <laughs> away from here? <laughs> or... <laughs> but it's, oh, it's, it's, it's an endlessly fascinating city in terms of that geography stuff. That's yeah. the one reason I keep going. One of the big reasons I keep going back is uh, I love it because it's just so crazy and there's always something interesting going on in little pockets of it. Yeah, I think Michael Mann maybe... Um, if he didn't, uh, he he may have had a big influence on the way that it was shot in in some respects. But I think in other respects, people have taken his cue to 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 sort of lean into that sprawl. And particularly when he went the back notion with, of LA as like a monolith, yes, I think is yeah. what he's going for in in this kind of shot. Because um, well, like so just mo- like all of these all of these sort of top down views, these god's eye kind of angles. Um, so like sweeping over the city and mm. those lovely ones of um, the helicopter like going mm. through the buildings and things mm, like yeah. that it's all about dwarfing these people yes um, and you know this this ro- failed robbery that happens you know it is so far out and but also at the same time in this like the scope of the city really it's such a minor Small. thing like yeah. it's not important no. to anyone but these two guys and it's <laughs> yeah. a different way of doing LA because New York is the one where they always portray it as yeah. the city dwarfs everybody everyone. because it does dwarf everyone you go into New York and you are, t- you are tiny and you can feel it physically whereas not with LA because everything is so flat and spread out Yeah, you, you don't realise the scale of it until you're right in it and yeah. getting moving around the different areas and you realise how just spread this urban, the urban sprawl is just insane yeah and it's and and you know and this, a lot of LA before this stuff was all period stuff when they did in film it was all things like Chinatown or other things where the use of LA was for periods long before you know in the 30s or 20s where it was a whole different city than what and even two years later you get LA Confidential which yeah. is a 50s throwback straight yeah. into old old time as opposed to this which was like incredibly contemporary for the time yeah it's, ma- it's a little dated now ma- but it's, yeah made, it still holds up pretty well made in sort of 94 95 LA like yeah. of its time. A little dated with a flip phone, I think. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of the few things that dates it, though. Yeah. Otherwise, it's there's not that not, there's not That was, that was a very Romeo and Michelle moment. <laughs> <laughs> Romy- just, I just would really like to hear Al Pacino's line reading of, like, if anyone needs to make a call, I've got a phone. <laughs> Does that make Janine Garofalo Val Gilmore? fucking lose I just want to say that I've never thought that Romy and Michelle would come up on this podcast. Oh, honey, I was watching this and I was thinking, I'm going to reference so many gay-ass movies talking about this. I've already done Jane Austen Book Club. I've done Romy and Michelle. Um, I I wanted to describe the relationship between um, Macaulay and Hannah Mm. using a line um, that Maggie Gyllenhaal says in Mona Lisa's Smile. (laughs) What? Which is when they're talking about an artwork in one of Julia Roberts's early art lectures Uh and she asked her uh, the students opinions of a painting and she goes there's something aggressive about it and erotic oh god (laughs) which is their entire thing (laughs) it is they're aggressive and they're erotic with each other because they're both they seem like tops both of them not very good tops though no they would be I mean, De Niro particularly would be an awful terrible top. in bed. I feel like Amy Brenneman's character wouldn't have very high standards in that regard. No, so that yes, was probably yeah. a good match. <laughs> yeah, and she, just, she just seems like she is kind of a, like she would just put up with whatever. She'll take whatever she gets. Yeah, yeah. Because she's already 
settling for, yeah. for him and kind of willing to run away with him at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he is Which is looking, crazy. He's looking crazy. I was like, bitch, save yourself. <laughs> this is nonsense. I really just wanted her to get up and, and he's, control- he's like an awful, he's like worst kind of top. He's like controlling. It's all about, you know, precision and things like that. Which is the worst kind. There's no emotion and it. it's all cold, heartless. It's like, you know, <laughs> going out to a sex club and there's, okay, there's... Oh my God. Look, look, yeah. Like, he would literally just like stare at you in the eyes yeah. the entire time and like his face would not change. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> It'd be like done. In, well, as he said, you, go, you, you can't pull out of anything in thirty seconds, and you, you know. Oh god, this has gone down a road, and I don't know if I can turn this thing back. Episode what about Hannah. Um, I mean, he's basically just on coke the entire movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, did you read about that, or did you think that? I, I, I read about that somewhere. Someone um, mentioned somewhere that there was. Well, that was a, some notion of like as though the, his character is doing coke, coke. the entire movie, but you never see him do it. Yeah, right? so um, yeah. which yeah. I was like, that's amazing. That's such a good and, note. And and what's funny is that that was something that was theorized and right. then validated with um, the recent sort of twentieth anniversary Q and A's and stuff like that that Chris Nolan conducted in LA and when they brought the um, the new four K release out, Pacino was like, we had conceived of Hannah as a guy who was doing coke, a bumps of coke in these heightened scenes in the movie, which is why you see him charged up and sometimes chewing gum and doing those things. And then, excuse me, it got kind of towards the end of the film and Michael Mann, there's like one scene where he cops cocaine um, in the movie and Mann took it out and he's like, I just don't think they're going to go down the road. Don't think I'm going to be able to bring people back to the road of likability if they see you copying drugs and taking drugs as a cop. It like and it. it would I just, didn't think it, it didn't need it for me. I it would just literalize it too yes, much. Yes. yes, Like it takes that performance and it it almost removes the mystique of it. Yeah. yeah to yeah, to yeah. say like yes, this is Pretty absolutely happening because it's so much more interesting to think that he's not doing it at all. Agree. Okay. This is just <laughs> he's just this, this is just him. This is just him shouting about someone having a great ass, <laughs> projecting. <laughs> he's actually talking about Macaulay. Oh uh, well, look, we have seen Neil get out of bed. And, uh, and I can reveal in an upcoming episode, Maria Lewis revealed that she was shocked at how attracted to Robert De Niro she was. I had the same thing. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Was I he, got was it. he supposed sure. to be hot in this era? Like, I'm not super <laughs> sure. And then that, that thing of him getting out of bed, I was like, I don't know. Oh yeah. yeah, in that in that low lighting, I could put up with that. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I'll turn those lights down, please. Yeah, you're gonna be like, naked right now. Nah, yeah, I, I, it's I like one get, one like cute lamp in the corner. <laughs> the Dennis Haysworth thing. I t- oh yeah, I totally get that. But I mean that man, Oof, that man is yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't even you don't get that much of him, and it's not like him in Far From Heaven, which is maybe like yeah, yeah, yeah. the most attractive character ever put to film. Mm. Yeah, um, but it's pretty. Mm. It's it's a bit much. Mm. All those like sweaty like Frymaster uniforms. And... Mm. Get the grease and get the spatulas. <laughs> well, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I, I don't I don't know if I can I don't know if we can can say anything. Should, else. We, should we talk about Diane Venora? Uh we can talk about <laughs> Diane Venora. We can. Please share your theory on Diane Venora's character. That she is the best aggressive top in the entire film. I I think she's like borderline dominatrix. Yeah. I don't know what she, she would be a great brothel. Man. I don't know what kinky shit she and Ralph got up to that night, but <laughs> <laughs> poor Ralph. Um, like there was a reason Ralph wanted to leave. Now, um... <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna die. Um, uh, one thing is, uh, so we're now at the 69th episode. Uh, on the 63rd episode, 
uh, of the show. Uh, Courtney Howard, who's a, a film, no relation to me, but is a film critic from the States, brought up a great theory, and I'll run it past you guys in case you haven't heard the show, is she said um, she thinks that Diane Venora's look, um, especially like the, tur- the black turtlenecks in her hair, mm. was reminiscent of like um, Audrey Hepburn funny face. Oh, yeah. But oh, doing yeah, a complete yeah. flip. On mm. that, like, because in Funny Face, obviously, she's, mm. you know, um, very naive and mm. things like that. And and the power dynamic of Darcine, um, you know, being this woman who's had multiple marriages and is very savvy and uh, articulate, it just completely shifts the power dynamic. But it's in terms of classical Hollywood looks, was like, she was like, I just kept watching. And I was just like, oh, the turtlenecks and oh, my God, the hair and oh. And I was just yeah, like, yeah. that is such an amazing pull. I was like, that had never crossed my mind. And both on the same level of barbiturates. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was like, it, there was a bit of that. There was also like, there's, there's definitely like a French New Wave yeah. element mm. to her character. Just mm. like the, the sudden eloquence that she'll deliver yeah. in, in like tearing... Uh, Hannah to shreds. Yeah. Um, and then the, to me, there's maybe it's just because of the the feel of the film and the look of it, but like there's a little bit of like a, just a Blade Runnerishness. Yeah. Oh, I was yeah, going to say well. it's a great, yeah. great like, noirish, like cropped dark hair and everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just the way you know she's she's obviously feeling a lot of things, but she's somewhat dispassionate about them at the same time. Like she's constantly intellectualizing the mm, situations yeah. situations that she's in and their relationship. Um, and that cerebral uh, nature of her performance, and is yet what she's made not emotionally connected with a lot of the things she she always no. literally stays back from it. Like yeah. she's she's and so even if she's, she's so hyper analytical, yeah, yeah. Um, that she sort of looks at things from a, a remove, and she's affected mm. by them in private. But mm. when talking to him, it's all like, you know, you're you're a dead man basically, just walking among dead people. Yes, um, which which is super interesting, very relatable. And then she goes, <laughs> very relatable character. And then she and then she hooks up with Ralph. Yeah. You can yeah. you can better see how that goes down. She'd be like, you know, she basically insult him about the size of his penis, and he'd be like, "Thank you." <laughs> Ralph was definitely gagged. Oh yeah, ball gagged. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She well, did, ladies and gentlemen, I think that's. <laughs> She didn't know how to speak. That's why she was cooking for him so that she wouldn't have to make conversation with him in the morning. Yeah. 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 It's a whole thing. A hand yeah. over her mouth, I think, if she's a top. Because she was at the beginning of the film. Look, ladies and gentlemen, I did not know that this is where this episode was going to go. <laughs> yes, but did. I'm so yes, happy did. that it went there. <laughs> uh, Lawrence Barber, you can find him at Bortleby, B-O-R-T-L-B, Star Observer. You can find him as well. And also every, is it Tuesday or Thursday? Uh, Friday night. Oh, Friday, Friday night. Friday night's on ABC Radio uh, Sydney and sometimes nationally as well. Awesome, and you can also hear Lawrence occasionally on the RN Show Screen Hub, Screen Hub of Screen. Every so often, yes. Yep. Whatever the, the hub on screen. The hub on screen. When I'm invited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Here's another cue to be inviting him. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Garth Franklin from Dark Horizons, you can see him writing an ungodly amount of stories on a daily basis. Thank you so much for being part of the show again, thank sir. Um, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. This I hope it was not fun for you listening as it's for me hosting today. Um, and uh, I've been Blake Howard. At Blake is Batman. You can find me um, on Twitter um, and oneheatminute.com for everything else. I uh, thank you in person to Mr. Garth Franklin for some of our website design. Thank you to Mr. Paul Davies for our awesome theme. And we'll catch you next time on another One Heat Minute Around the Corner. <laughs>